Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware. Have you ever wanted something so badly that it consumed every thought? It's all you can think about, and it consumes you. You try to go on about your life, but it's hard to move past the thoughts that eat you alive. You learn to relive your life around the pain of hoping that things would be different. In an article on the American Brain Foundation website that was published in 2021, the author explains how our brains deal with grief. In that article, it says, quote, whether brought on by the death of a loved one, a serious illness or injury, divorce, abuse, or another cause, the brain interprets grief as an emotional trauma or PTSD. Dr. Shulman explains that the human brain handles emotional trauma and stress using the same set of processes. End quote. Traumatic loss is perceived as a threat to survival and defaults to protective survival and defense mechanisms, says Dr. Shulman. This response engages the fight or flight mechanism, which increases blood pressure and heart rate and releases specific hormones. Grief and loss affect the brain and body in many different ways. They can cause changes in memory, behavior, sleep, and body function, affecting the immune system as well as the heart. It can also lead to cognitive effect, such as brain fog. The brain's goal is survival. Dr. Shulma goes on to say, grief is a normal protective process. This process is an evolutionary adaptation to promote survival in the face of emotional trauma. Changes in brain function go largely undetected when an individual continues functioning normally, but these experiences still affect how the brain works. The article says, in response to traumatic events, the brain creates connections between nerves and strengthens or weakens existing connections depending on the duration and degree of the emotional response. The ability to alter neural connections allows the brain to compensate for injury, illness, loss, and other life-altering traumatic events by forming new connections based on these experiences. This helps individuals to adapt to new situations or environments. Low to moderate stress increases nerve growth and improves memory while reducing fear, but chronic stress causes a reduction in nerve growth and memory and increases fear to help an individual focus on survival. This stress response can have a negative effect, and the more it happens, the more it becomes hardwired. Dr. Shulma says when a circuit fires repeatedly, it's reinforced and becomes a default setting. Over the long term, grief can disrupt the diverse cognitive domains of memory. In other words, our brains reshape after we experience great loss. It changes our ability to think. It changes our memory. It changes our physical health. And so much more. Every family we talk about on this show has been shaped and changed by grief. Their lives have been reshaped by a hole in their heart that just can't go away. They learn to go on about their lives, but their lives are different, and they have to learn to go on despite the pain. They continue searching, they continue hoping, but nothing is ever the same. This is a story of Tara Calico.
Welcome to Coffee and Cases, where we like our coffee hot and our cases cold. My name is Allison Williams. And my name is Maggie Dameron. We will be telling stories each week in the hopes that someone out there with any information concerning the cases will take those tips to law enforcement so justice and closure can be brought to these families. With each case, we encourage you to continue in the conversation on our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, because, as we all know, conversation helps to keep the missing person in the public consciousness, helping keep their memories alive. So sit back, sip your coffee, and listen to what's brewing this week. You've worked hard for what you have, your money, your assets, your 401k, and home. Isn't it all worth protecting? Nearly one in four consumers have been a victim of identity theft. LifeLock Ultimate Plus helps protect your finances with up to $3 million in reimbursement. LifeLock alerts you to identity threats you might miss. And if your identity is stolen, your dedicated U.S.-based restoration specialist will work to fix it. Let LifeLock help protect what you've worked so hard for. Save 25% off your first year on LifeLock Ultimate Plus at LifeLock.com aware. Terms apply. Y'all, I just got a message from my husband. <laughs> and what? our dog is literally laying on top of his head okay <laughs> just a normal day over here at the dameron house normal night yeah yeah just normal day-to-day functions okay <laughs> so i know we say this on every show yeah. like every time but i really am so thankful for the friendships that i feel allison we have built through this podcast yes. with people that we have never even met absolutely and each week, I look forward to time that I get to spend with people that we really don't talk to. I mean, there's a few of our listeners that we know, but the majority of them we don't. But I still mm-hmm. feel like each week, I get to spend time with my best friend, you, and I get to spend time with them. And it just brightens my day. Me too. Me too. So as as usual, I wanted to start off with some shout outs from our listeners. Oh, and we've got some good ones this week. We did. And I'm going to start with a review that put the biggest smile on my face and boosted my confidence. I know what one you're talking about. If you all have been listening for a long time, or if you follow us on Patreon, you know that when I hear my own voice, it's like hearing nails scraping (laughs) <laughs> an old school chalkboard like That's I hate crazy. the way my voice sounds so when this review came through it really did me some good mm-hmm. so Hetty Spice wrote quote one of my faves Maggie's voice makes my heart full it's mm-hmm. so comforting even while listening to something horrible lol so thanks for that I hear cases that have never been talked about. They're grateful to their listeners. Solid research. Not too much banter back and forth. Just enough to keep it interesting. Thanks so much. And Mm. Allison, if that isn't a confidence booster, I'm not sure what is. I know. I know. I read it and I was thinking this, it it couldn't have brightened my day more. I mean, it, it was just so kind and... I loved it. That's what I needed. Yes. And we got another great five-star review from Mel, who said, quote, you gals are both little blessings in this big world. Thanks for being kind-hearted souls and for entertaining us all. Keep it up, end quote. And she's from Dolly Country, and Dolly uh, Parton yes. is like queen. Yes, she's she the is. queen. Yeah. 
And while we're on gratitude, I would also like to thank Casey for recommending us on Facebook this past week. Um, I knew about this because Casey tagged us in it. So P.S., make sure if you want us to give you a shout out on the show and you are recommending us on Facebook, make sure to tag us in the post. So all you have to do is hit the little at symbol right before you start typing Coffee and Cases podcast and it should pop up and you can just click on it. Um, also, while we're talking about social media, um, Allison, how long have we been doing this now? Since December 2019. Okay, so a long time. <laughs> like, mm-hmm. we still sometimes struggle, like, this makes me sound ancient, but we still sometimes struggle with <laughs> Facebook, and we don't know if we have our group set up right. weird, because, like, we'll get notifications that... Like someone has shared something on our page, but then we can never find it. Right. Yeah, we can't see it. So, yeah. So I think we're just old fogies. So if you all know how to explain it to some old people, how we can fix that. <laughs> Hit us up. Yeah, we yeah. we do know how to check our messages. So you can send right. it via messenger right. and we will get it. <laughs> and speak no. Yeah, I think there was one message on Instagram, though. That you were saying you just saw this week. Yes, I did. And again, brightened (laughs) my day. So shout out Mm -hmm. to me, Mead. She said, hi, Maggie. Hi. Hi, Mead. (laughs) She said, I just listened to my first episode of your podcast, and it was such a nice surprise to hear someone that sounded like me. Then you mentioned Eastern Kentucky, and I about fell over. I'm from Eastern Kentucky, too. So cool. You go, girl. I love you. Right. See, Maggie, you are a necessary voice in the podcasting world. Oh, good. I'm that little bit of Southern charm everybody needs. (laughs) (laughs) And finally, also on Facebook this week, Sarah gave us a case suggestion. So thank you, Sarah. And Venus sent us a message. Oh, this was good. This was good. Yes. She said, quote, thank you for highlighting missing and murdered indigenous women on your show. I am a tribal citizen of the Mi'kmaq Nation of Maine and Canada. With that being said, I'm still a lifelong resident of Kentucky, having been born and raised in Laurel County. I feel Kentucky is so far removed from issues facing the Native communities today that programs such as Coffee and Cases, who use their platform to bring awareness to these issues, finally brings Natives into the forefront and gives us a place at the table. Yeah. End quote. And we, I mean, that was so much love. That's why we do what we do. Yes. Mm -hmm. And we really do Mm -hmm. appreciate the love and friends, if you have listened to our latest mini on Patreon, you all know that we are both known for words of affirmation being our love language. So we uh, appreciate yeah, yeah. those kind words. Right. <laughs> That's probably why we do this section every week. This yes. is um, And speaking of Patreon, if you would like to access bonus content, here are some paranormal stories hear about some solved true crime cases, and obviously learn some more about and laugh with (laughs) Maggie and me and the stories we have, please consider joining our Patreon where you can access all of that for only $5 a month. So just head on over to patreon.com 
forward slash coffee and cases podcast, all one word, to learn more. And with that, I think I'm ready for today's episode. Okay, so this one um, is different than what we normally cover. As you guys know, we typically do um, lesser known cases, but the case I'm telling you guys today has a lot more coverage than the ones that we typically cover. Um, But Mm -hmm. I guess I live under a rock because I had never heard of it. And so I thought maybe some of our listeners hadn't either. And so I decided Mm -hmm. that this would be a good week to do um, this case. Yeah. So like I said, there's a lot of information on this. There's lots of um, other podcasts. There's like some documentary type things you can watch on YouTube. There's lots of articles. So I feel like being a podcaster that focuses on true crime, we are like walking a very thin line. Like we can either have a podcast that has too little information, like a topic that has too little information and it's hard to you know, turn what little bit we're given into an episode. episode, Yeah. And then I feel like sometimes some of the cases we do have so much information that it's overwhelming to get all of that information condensed into just one episode instead of multiple ones. Right. So that's the same with Tara's case today. Um, There was so much that it is condensed into a shorter version so that it can fit into one episode instead of like multiple, multiple episodes. So if you want more information, it's out there for you. But today we're doing um, just a one episode over a one and done. Yeah. Okay. So um, I don't know if it's the Eastern Kentucky in me, but when I see her name, I want to say Tara, but We've looked it up, and it's pronounced Tara from where she's from. So Tara Calico was born, um, P.S., love that last name, on February 28th in 1969. She lived in a very small town in New Mexico, and she, at the time, was studying at the University of New Mexico. And she was 19 when she either disappeared Or was kidnapped, as some people believe, from her morning bike ride. Okay. So morning bike ride means she does it routinely. Yes, regularly. Um, Okay. Like, I got the impression almost daily. Okay. So it would have been a habit. I'm just Mm -hmm. thinking ahead because you know how my brain works. (laughs) And I'm always trying to, like, put everything together. So you you had mentioned she either disappeared or was kidnapped. So in my head, I'm already mm-hmm. thinking, okay, well, if she has an established routine mm-hmm. that people would know, then the mm-hmm. kidnapping becomes much more of a feasible option in my head, even bo- before you start talking. Yeah, because she, and I'll talk about that too, had a specific like route that she went on. So it's not oh. like she just went randomly. She had a specific route that she rode on so when she doesn't come home they know exactly where to look so if somebody were mm. stalking her so it's both maybe, good and bad yes yeah yeah good in the sense that they know where to look but then bad in the sense that everybody knows where she is 
Right. On September 20th, 1988, Tara went on that morning bike ride, Allison, like she normally did. She left her house somewhere between 9 and 9.30 that morning. According to its crime o'clock somewhere, what a cute oh, name. clever. Yeah. So clever. Tara was going on quite an extensive bike ride. She biked 17 miles out and then the 17 miles back to her house so like a total of 34 miles this girl is going my jaw has dropped <laughs> that's like yeah. iron man to me yeah that, i mean that's, that's like... not a small feat that's impressive no yeah shoot i'd be tuckered out after about a mile yeah, we used to, I think, I think I mentioned this not re, not long ago, we used to ride regularly and we went just around like, we have like a circle kind of in the subdivision we live in and we went around that and I had to sit in front of the fan like almost vomited and it was, <laughs> that's probably like not even a quarter of a mile. <laughs> yeah, it was embarrassing. <laughs> Oh my gosh. How many calories do you burn if you do that? Well, depending on, so I looked that up and depending on like how fast she was going and her weight, she could have successfully burned 2000 calories, <gasps> which you go. Oh my gosh. That's more than I eat in a day. Yeah. Like that, it isn't like the typical diet at Two thousand or is it five thousand? Is it a two thousand yeah. calorie? No, it's two thousand. Like, yeah. yeah. So you could yeah. you could cancel out everything you eat in a day. Oh my goodness! Maybe I need to take mm -hmm. up uh, biking. Well, it sucks getting into shape enough to do what she did because we did it for oh, a while, and true. I was never that. You built up to from a quarter a mile to half a mile. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> <laughs> she reportedly told her mom, Patty, that if she wasn't home by noon, then to come look for her. And Allison, I don't know about you, but I do this too. Okay. Like if Anthony and I are at, let's say, like we're at a restaurant or we're shopping at the mall and I have to go to the bathroom, I'll tell him the same thing. I'm always like, if I'm not back in five minutes... That means you need to come find me. But when I'm saying it, I'm being paranoid. I don't know if right. she was being paranoid or if she was just joking with her mom because of some details I'm going to tell you here in a second. Oh, okay. Because I was going to say, to me, this, because like you going to the bathroom, especially if you're out somewhere, isn't a daily typical circumstance. You know what mm -hmm. I mean? So that comment, if she were being serious, is weird to me because if she does it every day, why would she say, if I'm not back by noon, come look for me? That that seems odd. So I'm going to take it as her joking, especially since you said there's a detail that makes it seem like she was. Okay. Yeah. And you let me know what you think after you hear this next okay. little bit. But her mom okay. um, was expecting her home by noon but she was worried about tara going anyways because um, she was apparently having issues with her bike actually in some articles that i read also what an episode for a appalachian to have where the word bicycle is in it ten thousand times <laughs> but um she was apparently having issues with hers and i read in some places that 
the day she disappeared, she was on her mom's bicycle, but then some places said that it was hers. But anyways, so she was having bike problems, and Tara's mom had told reporters that both she and her daughter were having issues of being harassed while they had been out biking, because I'm assuming they did it together sometimes, and she was actually fearful Uh of her daughter's safety. Um, One specific incident I read was really disturbing, and it was in an article by True Crime Times. Um, Patty, the mom, said that she did join her often for that daily ride, but she decided that day she was going to stay home because on her last trip, a motorist nearly ran her off the road (gasps) on their last cycling extravaganza together. Who does that? And like, what's it? Share the road. Share. That's what I was getting ready to say. So like, you know, Anthony's an engineer, so he is all about, roadways and he is one of those people obviously he's not going to run anybody off the road but when you're in you know backwoods kentucky and there's no shoulder on a road and the road's not even big enough to put like two lines on it (laughs) um yeah we've got several of those in my house (laughs) he will get so agitated and be like they're biking on this road for a team i don't know what type of road they were biking on but regardless we should not aggressively chase cyclists right off the road and that is what happened to patty and tara um so she Mm. you know reminds tara you know we just had this person driving aggressively she felt they were almost targeted and she just tried to convince her to not go out that day she even says that in that specific incident the motorist passed them multiple times along this um route that they would take oh so if they pass multiple times then that like did they slow down and let Tara and her mom get ahead of them and then pass aggressively again. I wonder, you know, because that reminds me of a that much. Yeah, it reminds me. There was one time this was traumatic. I was scared to death because there are, you know, horror movies about this. No offense to truckers (laughs) out there. We love you, truckers. But this one trucker, the semi driver, um, Passed my car. I was in college. Passed my car. And they had a passenger in the in the semi with them. And they, like, looked down into my car. And, I mean, I guess my hair was done and my makeup was done that way, that day. So, I, you know, looked decent. But they started looking honking good. their horn. They were, like, pulling the, the horn, honking at me. And I was thinking, that's weird. And then and then I'm like, is there somebody in my back seat? Is there you know, is there something on my roof? Like, what are they honking at? And then they got in front of me. They like sped past me, got in front of me and slowed down. And then mm-hmm. I passed them. It was on an interstate. I passed them. And as I was passing them, they were like looking at me again and honking their like pulling the horn again. And so I sped up. And then I was like, I can't get a ticket. So I slowed back down to the speed limit. And here they came up again and like passed me and were honking and got in front of me and slowed down again. Oh, Maggie, I bet I went 
hopefully you can't get a speeding ticket in hindsight because I'm <laughs> I'm admitting to my and I'm a rule follower. I do not speed, but I bet I went 25 over just to get away from that truck. But I don't know if it wasn't like that type of incident. Mm-hmm. What makes me like nervous about this is, you know, I was in a car. I could go pretty fast to get away. If you're on a bike and a motorist is doing that to you, your options are limited. It's not like you can bike away faster than a car can go. Yeah, that's what I was going to say. Like, I think it would have to be really hard for the motorist to slow down and then speed back up. Because even if you're going pretty fast, you're still going slow for a person driving Mm -hmm. a vehicle. So I don't know Mm -hmm. if it was, you know, they went down the road, maybe they went to the post office and they came back and they just noticed it a couple different times or if it was more intentional. I'm not really sure. But Mm -hmm. Chara was determined. She was a dedicated young woman. And despite the warnings from her mom and her bike's performance issues, she went riding anyways. And True Crime Times reports that Patty actually tried to convince her to take pepper spray along in case she ran into any trouble. But, like, she just kind of laughed that off and said it wasn't necessary, which makes me wonder if the, you know, if I'm not back by noon, come looking for me was a joke because her mom was so worried and she just... Right. Really wasn't, you know? She's trying to like mock her mom. Yeah. Lighten now, the I'm mood telling you right now, if my little sleuth hound, 19, 30, 50, I don't care how old she is. If pe- if I feel like people have been harassing us and she's like, oh, mom, I'll be fine. I'm barricading the door because I'm going to be like, you're <laughs> going on this bike ride over my dead body. Like, that's how it's going to happen. I'm locking you in the bathroom. (laughs) That's right. Exactly. But she did go. And so at around 930 on September the 20th, she left her home to go on her regular 34-mile bike ride. She was on her neon pink cuffy bike with the yellow control cables and sidewalls on her usual route along Highway 47. That bike sounds totally 80s. Yeah. Oh, and I feel like really recognizable. Oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. But sadly, when she pedaled away on her bike, her mom had no idea she would never see her daughter again. Wow. So remember that she says to mom, if I'm not home at noon, come out and look for me. And we're assuming in a joking manner but she really did have Mm -hmm. plans and she really did need to be home by noon she was supposed to play tennis with her boyfriend at 12 30 and she had class that afternoon at four so it's not like she could dilly dally she needed to be home right so because of the warning issued when she didn't show up at noon her mom went out to look for her um, because she actually was worried. You know, she didn't want her to go in the first place. She went along the normal route. And when her mom couldn't find her or any sign of her bike included, so that neon pink bike, she called the police. Yeah, because she's, I'm sure, thinking the worst. She's thinking about the harassment and all of Mm -hmm. that. Mom does go out. She finds no traces of 
Tara, so she calls the police, and um, searches for Tara were extensive. It seemed that everyone from her town was aiding in the search for her. Um, I read that for multiple weeks, investigators searched the area, local and state police, as well as hundreds of volunteers, combed the area on foot. They combed the area on horseback. They took four-wheelers around to look for her. They did airplane searches. So basically, no rock was left unturned as this community frantically tried to bring her home. But they turn up empty-handed time and time again. Wow. So the whole community, at least, is showing up for her, but they just can't find her. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And... This, I think, just is a very typical mom thing, or just really anybody that's in a very loving relationship. The day after um, Tara doesn't come home, Patty actually returned to that bike route and searched again. And on her second search, so just the very next day, she found a cassette tape by the band Boston, which she recognized who belonged to her daughter. And I'm assuming, because this is mm-hmm. 1988, that Tara mm-hmm. had a Walkman of sorts that, you know, she played cassettes yep. on. And I'm guessing that that's why the tape was there, that she was using a Walkman. She said that the tape was on the side of the road that Tara would have been on as she was riding away from home because responsible bikers know that you go with the flow of traffic. You don't go against the flow of traffic. So she would have switched directions coming back home. Mm. Mm-hmm. But that's not all that was at the area where this cassette tape was discovered there were obvious bike there were obvious bike tracks near the cassette tape which is good because that just further Mm -hmm. tells us that she she was there there were footprints on the ground that led many to believe this could have been the site of like a scuffle or a struggle i don't know and i didn't um come across this in the research that i did if there were multiple sets of prints, you know, oh. like a bigger size mm-hmm. and a smaller size, because if it's just one set, then that could just be Tara or Tara's footprint. Mm-hmm. But there were things there that led people to believe that there was a struggle. So there's the tire tracks from the bicycle. There's the feet prints. Um, there's vehicle tire tracks. And like, you know how some, if your car sits for a little bit, sometimes it will like leak oil or like mm-hmm. some type of fluid that was there. Right. So a lot of people said that all kind of pointed to this was the site of whatever happened happened there. This idea was further confirmed when several people reported sightings of a light-colored truck following Tara. In fact, this light-colored truck was reported by so, 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 so many people. um, And all of them told the police that the truck appeared to be following her down the road. Yeah, because most people, especially if they get behind a biker, at some point, as soon as you are able, you're going to pass. Yeah. So if that many people, yeah, if that many people saw this truck continuing to follow her, that, I don't know, makes me a little nervous. 
And I do think that would be something that people would remember because like you said, you're going to pass a cyclist as soon as you can. And if you're in a long Mm -hmm. line of traffic and you finally pass this white van that's going so slow and you realize they're not passing a a cyclist, then you're going to, you will mentally make note of that because you're going to be like, right. Why would you not pass them? You're so stupid. Right. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. And, Several witnesses came forward in the days following her disappearance to say that it was a 1953 F-150 truck that was actually pulling a small camper that was following the teen. So this is very specific. And multiple people reported this same specific detail. And we know that Mm -hmm. that's important when multiple people are Mm -hmm. saying the same things. Yep, because corroboration. We know it's not just a faulty memory because multiple people are coming forward with it. Mm-hmm. Um, as reported by um, TaraCalico.com, um, she, many think, and the more I thought about it, I was like, duh, Maggie, that she didn't realize she was being followed because she had those headphones on while she was riding. Oh. And initially, I didn't think of that. Then when I read that, I was like, duh. Like, now how many of us are guilty of walking or running with AirPods in? Like. It's so common now. Yeah, you have no idea of what's going on around you because your focus is on that music or whatever. What's in your ear. In your AirPods. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. This is something that I try to be observant about when I walk outside, which, you know, I'm really paranoid anyways and the longer we do this uh the more i realize that i am paranoid but i do not like to walk by myself even in Mm -hmm. the subdivision we live in i just have never felt i mean you know there's never been anything horrific that's happened here but i just have never been comfortable doing that but even Mm -hmm. in the gym when i walk there's a track at the gym we go to i only put one airpod in so that i can hear Mm -hmm. I, or yeah. at least makes me feel better that I can hear out of right. one side because I feel this is like multiple cases that we've talked about that have involved mm-hmm. people having something impairing their hearing that's affected right them in life. Right. The last known sighting of her was around 11.30 a.m. when someone spotted her biking, obviously, and followed by that same light-colored truck. After 11.30, uh, we don't have any more sightings of her coming in. Allison and I find it hard to record together these days with everything going on in our lives. That's why we began looking for a recording platform that would allow us to record the same quality, crisp audio that we could have in person. Allison made it her mission to find the best platform for doing just that, and that's when she discovered Zencaster. Zencaster is what Maggie and I use each week to record our episodes, and it is extremely easy to use, even if you've never used a recording platform before. You don't have to download a thing. I go to the website, Zencaster.com, create the session for which you can record audio, video, or both, and then email Maggie the link. She clicks, and that's it. We're ready to hit the record button and start. 
So even when you have guests who aren't really tech savvy, all they have to do is click the link to join the recording. Zencaster is really an all-in-one podcast production suite that gives you studio quality audio and video without needing to have any technological background knowledge. Once you're finished recording, the magic of Zencaster continues as Everything you've just created is securely backed up on the cloud, so no more lost files. You get a transcript generated from your recording, and you have quality material to work with in post-production. I honestly could not brag about Zencaster enough. So if you're thinking about creating your own podcast but worry because your co-host or someone you'd like to interview is in another city... Worry no more, my friend. We want you to have the same easy experience as we do. If you go to zen.ai slash coffeeandcasespod0 and enter promo code coffeeandcasespod0, all one word, you'll get 30% off your first three months. Again, that's zen.ai slash coffeeandcasespod0. It's time to share and easily record your story. All right, Allison, so searches for Tara continued. So we have the Walkman, we have the footprints, the tire tracks, the bike tracks. Um, but day mm-hmm. after day, very few answers were found. The Charlie Project reported that her Walkman cassette player, and like, I feel like we need a picture of this for our young listeners because right, I don't know that they're right. going to know what <laughs> But her Walkman cassette player was later found near the John F. Kennedy campground. And Allison, this is significant because this campground is 19 miles east of Highway 47, so where she would have been biking on her normal route. So totally off Mm. the map for her. Right. Yeah. So obviously that was... She would, if she were not taking her normal route, I feel like she would have told her mom she's going someplace else. Like, I don't think that's something that she would just randomly decide to do. Especially because her mom was worried about her going initially. So, right. Saying, well, you know, I'm actually going to go this way instead would ease some of her mom's fear and anxiety. And she didn't say that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Her mom actually later told people she thought her daughter dropped those items as clues to her whereabouts. If she did, that was smart. I know. So she drops the cassette on purpose and she drops drops the Walkman 19 miles east on purpose, which I think is so smart. Very Hansel mm-hmm. and Gretel to me. I was thinking the same thing. But for a long, long time, this trail of breadcrumbs seems to have ended for investigators and for her family. But we do get sort of a break in the case when on June 15th, 1989, a woman was waiting for a parking spot. And you're probably thinking, Maggie, what could happen when you're just waiting to park your car? But this is significant. So she's waiting to pull into a spot that is occupied by a white Toyota van. The creepy ones that we talked about, I'm pretty positive last week that have Ashley Morgan's case. Yes. So she's waiting for this van to pull out. She even is able to describe the driver. She says he's a man in his 30s with a mustache. Not super specific, but 
she's waited long enough that she has been able to gather at least that much detail. Mm -hmm. Because she's probably like, what is taking this guy so long? Yes, me every time. (laughs) (laughs) So when he pulls out of the spot, she pulls in and parks her car. When she steps out, she notices something on the ground and she would make a very disturbing discovery as she stepped out of her car. Hmm, I'm curious what this discovery is going to be. Well, she finds a Polaroid picture on the ground. The photo was of a young boy and a teenage girl, and it's not your typical photo. They were both bound and gagged with duct tape, and... They were lying in the cargo area of what appeared to be a white van, like on top of some blankets. So presumably (gasps) in the back of this van that's just pulled out of this parking spot. Uh, I would call the police immediately. Yes. Yeah, she is really quick about turning this over to the police because the boy and girl both seem distressed. And um, we talk a lot about crazy coincidences. We have a whole like category of that on patreon Mm -hmm. where we talk about crazy Mm -hmm. coincidences and this to me is one of those moments because this woman had to take time to to bend down to pick up what she probably thought was a piece of trash to discover that it was actually possibly a significant clue in the case of a missing girl and boy wow wow The picture would ultimately lead to more questions than answers, but this was the first step towards a new clue in Tara's case in, you know, right about a year. While this wasn't the news the family really wanted to hear, you know, I'm sure they wanted to hear news telling them that Tara had been been found found. alive and well. Yeah. mm -hmm. Yeah. I can imagine this was better than the worst news they could have got, at least. Right. In this scenario, there's a hope that she's just been kidnapped and she's alive somewhere. Right. That still say, okay, give us some money and then you get your kid Mm -hmm. back. Right. And so then obviously she would be traumatized, but you'd have her. Right. Which is much better than not. Right. So now, like you said, authorities just need to find where she is. The image was a color Polaroid and it was in really good condition Again, in this convenience store parking lot of all places. So, obviously, it quickly makes national news. Both victims Mm -hmm. were facing the camera. Their mouths were taped. Their arms pressed together behind their back like they were tied up. And we think that they were in this van. The boy in the picture. This is... This part... You know, we've talked about... When people have so many common features that you see them mm-hmm. in a lot of people, I think mm-hmm. that was the case here. Mm. But the boy in the picture, we think, sort of, maybe, kind of, could have been this boy <laughs> named Michael Henley, who went missing in the same area as Tara in April of 1988. So the oh, missing so same year and everything lineup. Yeah. Yeah. He was hunting with his father when he went missing. And for the time mm. being, we will air quote missing. 
Okay. So one detail that I don't know if it's a coincidence. I don't know if it was maybe a placement of another clue on Tara's behalf. But right beside of the girl that is in the picture is a significant item. Okay. So there was a copy of a book written by V.C. Andrews that was right beside Oh, I love V.C. Andrews. Was that the attic one? Yes, Flowers in the Attic. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. I have it, but I've never read it. Do I need to read it? I, I, it was big when I was in middle school. That Those were the books. They're a bit disturbing. Yeah. Don't they fall in love with you? They're twins and they yeah. procreate? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Well, you know, so if I that. get bored this summer, I might add that to my <laughs> reading list. <laughs> but apparently this book is laying right beside the girl. And it is significant because Andrews was Tara's favorite author at the time and i read in one article that initially her mom is like this is not my daughter but upon closer inspection the girl in the photograph had a scar that was identical to tara's and that book detail kind of sealed the deal for her mom and that finally convinced Mm -hmm. her that maybe it could be my daughter Hmm. but then if she's kidnapped, why would they, like, buy her her favorite author? Right. And I don't know if, you know, have you read Room? Oh, I've seen the movie. Oh, my God. The book, well, the book is really, the movie's good, but the book is really good, too. But I wonder if it's that type of thing where she's being held against her will, but they're trying to make it not seem so bad for her, you know? Mm-hmm. So I don't know if they bought it for her to kind of make her a little bit happy with her circumstances. And she uses it as a clue because she's like, if my mom sees this, she'll know it's me because this book is here. Oh, yeah. Or if it's just a coincidence that it happened to be, they could be like me and just throw everything into the back of their car. And it just, there could have been a plethora of things in the photograph. (laughs) Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. But she is convinced by this detail that it could be her. Despite the mom's conviction that it could be her, the photograph has a lot of controversy. Scotland Yard inspected it and said, without a shadow of a doubt, it's Tara. The FBI wasn't so sure. And still others have said this photo would have been taken much later than originally thought because something about like the paper or the technology wouldn't have been available at the time. It would have had to have been taken to be Tara and Michael because Michael was actually found dead before this picture could have been taken. Oh. And... We used air quotes around missing because we don't know what really happened to Michael. We don't know if he was kidnapped. Most believe he just wandered off from his father during this camping trip and he died from exposure. So then that kind of rules out that it could be him if he wasn't actually kidnapped. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. 
Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com slash aware. All right. So, Allison, if you scroll down to the next page in the script, um, I actually posted a picture of her at the time she went missing, the photo in question, and then an age progression photo. So, look at... Tara 1980s edition and then the duct tape one and tell me what you think. Oh, okay. So I will say when I am looking at what she looks like, I'm just focusing on the face first and then I'll talk about the taped image. Um, but she definitely looks younger mm-hmm. in the image with the duct tape on her mouth. Yes. And, I mean, it could be because her hair's pulled back. Yeah, and the image that is her, like, the 80s her, I feel like that's a yearbook photo or something. She's in, like, right. you know, how we used to do the draped thing. So she probably had on more makeup than she would have in the picture from the van. Right. I mean, that's true. And I've said before, you know, when I only saw my students with face masks on, once they took their face masks off, I was like, that's what you look like Mm -hmm. under there? I mean, you do look completely different. So I get why, you know, maybe she does look a lot different with the tape on her mouth versus the bottom. But I think what's weird to me in that top picture the one that shows them like with the masking tape on their mouths or duct tape on their mouths is mm-hmm. it's it almost looks to me cuz it l- almost looks like you can see her fingers like at the bottom of her shorts it's almost like she's just sitting on mm-hmm. her hands yeah i think them using the word distressed Obviously, I'm not in this photograph, thank God. But right. I don't know that I would really describe them as distressed in that right. photograph. Is that, a, is that a cup under her leg, too? Like, over on the right? I don't know if it's that or just the blanket. I don't know. Okay, because I was going to say, if it's a cup, why would they need a cup if they're duct taped? Because they can't drink out of it. Yeah, I don't know. And their hands would be tied behind their backs. It does, if if she is kidnapped and, and her hands are bound, it is almost, so if she is kidnapped, it is almost as though whoever did it doesn't necessarily want her to be in pain or hurt because it doesn't look like her arms are, like, bound in some uncomfortable way, which might also explain the book being there. So I think if she is kidnapped. Right, because if her arms are bound, why would she need to have a book? Exactly. She can't read it. Yeah, she can't turn the pages. She couldn't, I mean, she couldn't even grab it. Mm-hmm. So there's some things about the photo that don't make sense. And we will post this picture for you guys to look at, too. I mean, there are similarities, but 
to me, I think the lighting in the yearbook photo versus the lighting in the van photo make it way too hard for me to be able to definitively say it is her. And to this de- to this right. day, neither the boy nor the girl in the photo have ever been positively identified. And we don't know what has happened to Tara. Um, her family would eventually move to Florida in 2003. But her mom died in 2006 without ever knowing what happened to her daughter. Her stepfather would continue Mm. to look for her and hope that she would be found. Um, But again, there's not a lot of answers to all of the questions that we have about her case. Right. Two other photos believed to have been her have surfaced in the years since her disappearance. Um, All of them looking like she's being kept against her will. But the last one, um, most people think is they're they're pranks. They don't think they're actual. Again, I don't understand why people do pranks like that. No, I don't. Like, if you're wanting to prank somebody, prank your best friend and, like, hit them with a water balloon as they walk out their door. Right. Prank a green Put a whoopee cushion on their seat. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. So, really, that's all we have. We are going to discuss a couple theories, Allison. Um, There aren't um, too many. I think there's, like, three... Maybe three and a half, I think. So the initial theory is that Tara ran away from home, which is always where we go to first. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Um, Investigators were adamant that this was what happened, that she just left of her own accord. She pedaled away into the sunset on her huffy by her own intent there were a series of these really weird letters that i feel like i'm missing a piece of the puzzle here but somehow police connected these to um tara's disappearance and said that these have to be connected with her and for some reason these letters that featured other people not her taped up they somehow connect these to her Yeah, I feel like I'm missing part of that there. Yeah. It was like there was pictures of a boy that were sent to the Port St. Joe Police Department. Um, They were postmarked from Albuquerque, New Mexico. The boy's mouth was covered um, as in the 1989 picture. So I don't know if it was the same boy in the picture. Maybe that's the piece mm. of this puzzle that I'm missing. Um, there was like a third letter that was again postmarked in Albuquerque that had the same image. This boy with something over his mouth. We never confirmed this that it was the same boy, that identity of the boy. None of the letters had a return address. But something in that made officials believe it may have something to do with the disappearance of Tara. So I don't know if they think it was the same camera. I'm not sure. Mm. I do know Mm. that the letters were sent at the same time that a self-proclaimed psychic had called about Tara. I'm not really sure how you proclaim yourself as a psychic. Like, I don't. 
Right. Are there classes you take <laughs> for kind of psychic or are all <laughs> right. psychic self-proclaimed? I don't know. Right. But this one says that she had met a runaway in California and the girl was eventually murdered. The caller said she had dreams that told her this runaway who was working in a strip club was Tara Calico and she was buried in California somewhere. Now, hmm. to give credit to investigators, they did a search in hopes of finding fingerprints or possible DNA, then, you know, finding a body. Um, they found mm -hmm. nothing. Tara's family does not support the idea of her being a runaway. Nearly everything I read about her said that she was a cheerful girl, quote, brimming with enthusiasm. So, she was happy in the life that she was making for herself. So no one who really knew her believed this hypothesis. Right. Um, actually, her stepdad said, quote, there was just so much she wanted to fit into a day. She was like a little machine. It was amazing. End quote. So again, not indicative of someone who's going to run away. She also had exactly. nothing with her besides a walkman. Which she left behind. Right. And we've said this multiple times. If you're going to run away, you need money. Mm -hmm. You may need clothes. Or and at you're least probably not going to make a date to play tennis with your boyfriend. Yeah. And tell your mom that you have class at four. Like, just not things that people who are right. running away are going to do. Well, if she were running away... Why would she say to her mom, even jokingly, if I'm not back by noon, come look for me and then have a date with her boyfriend at 1230? Because if you're running away, you don't want people to notice right away that you're not there. Like you want to give enough time to where you can put some distance between you and whatever you're running away from. So it doesn't make any sense to me that she would do either of those things if her intent was to run away. You know, I hadn't thought about that, but that is true. Like, you're not going to mm -hmm. run away and only give yourself three or four hours to get away on a bicycle when you're going to be followed or being looked for in a car. Right. You're right. going to want to give yourself a lot of time. Okay. So, mm -hmm. runaway theory is out. Out the window. Theory number two is that her death was sort of an accident. So, in 2008, the county sheriff, Riviera, said that he believes, and, like, everything I read about this theory, it sounded like this was so random. Like, just one day, he woke up and had this theory. But, <laughs> he says that two men were driving down Highway 47 on September 20th, 1988, when they accidentally hit Tara, and she had serious injuries. Okay? So she's not dead. She's just okay. been struck by okay. their vehicle. As reported by the Thought Catalog, Riviera believes the men panicked, and instead of being normal and calling police or taking her to the hospital, which, I mean, I've never hit someone with my car. Anthony almost did pulling out of Kroger last week, but we didn't. I have never hit someone with my car, but I think if I did, I would. Oh, I'd be driving them to the hospital. Yes. Yes. Same. I would not throw them in the back of my truck 
and leave right. with a severely injured person in the back of my truck, which is what this theory says happens. So according hmm. to Riviera, the men were, they were like, you know, trying to figure out what are we going to do with this person that's severely injured in the back of my truck. So they call two of their friends and they say, hey, can you come help us with this situation? And the friends come over to help them kill and dispose of Tara's body. Like, what? <laughs> what is this? Yeah. This seems out of left field. Yeah. And I don't know. There is no one I could call and say, hey, could you come help me kill this person and dispose of their body? <laughs> right. Right. But the sheriff does admit that there isn't a lot of evidence that's backing this or linking these men to Tara's disappearance. But he did say, quote, he was putting a case together, but... They want to make sure that this case is a concrete case, end quote. Huh. That comment makes it seem like whoever he got this theory from in terms of an informant or something like that, that Riviera believes that that person is credible because otherwise this does seem completely out of nowhere and then in reference to this theory to say that he's trying to put a concrete case together, it makes it sound like there must be details that they're just not sharing with the public that make this theory a pretty solid one. I am going to say to you, because we're going to talk about that in theory three, maybe I think that your little tidbit Sounds really great. And like this sheriff's department really has their life together. I'm not a hundred percent sure that that's the case. And we'll talk about oh. that in the next theory. So I'm giving them more credit, perhaps. Maybe. And I, I don't know because, you know, these are theories. So we're talking hypotheticals, but maybe. Mm -hmm. So, okay. you know, not a, not a lot of evidence, but we're going to make a concrete case. Um, he did tell reporters that he thought the two men in the truck were young teenagers and that maybe it was their parents who helped them cover up the crime. Um, oh, my. Which kind of leads me into theory three, maybe like theory two and a half. So we had um, a possible suspect named by a prison informant oh if that makes sense so a prison informant called with details saying this this person did it yes correct or these mm. people did it so in 2010 a prison informant made a deathbed confession that he had knowledge about tara's disappearance as reported by the true crime times this man named three individuals um mm -hmm. that he said hit tara with a truck while she was riding her bike he oh which says, is similar to theory two right there's lots of similarities mm. in this and i'm leaving I'm sure somewhere in all of this, their names are, you know, publicly said. I'm not going to say them, but if you want to know who it is, you just mm -hmm. have to Google her and they'll be there. But 
in this theory, these three people hit Tara with their truck as she's riding her bicycle. In everything I read about this theory, it did not seem accidental. I don't know that for sure. This Mm -hmm. prison informant says they then drove her to a gravel pit where they took turns raping her. So, to me, this fits the theory of the struggle on the side of the road and the cassette tape. Because, to me, if she is cognizant enough to put the cassette tape there, then she couldn't have been severely injured. Right. So, I don't know if they actually hit her or just ran her off the road. Did she know one of these people? Like, were they from the same town or they went to school together or? I'm assuming maybe she didn't like know them, know them, but she probably knew of them because I don't think the town that she was in was very large. Mm hmm. So while they're sexually assaulting her, she says, I'm going to go to authorities you're going to jail. Mm-hmm. And because of those threats in this information from the prison informant, she was actually held down by one of the individuals or by two of the individuals while the third one stabbed her to death. Oh my gosh. So very, very gruesome. Mm-hmm. Um, Part of me that says this could be like theory two and a half is because I think one of these people, one of the three were very well connected to the County Sheriff's office. And there are a lot of people who believe the Sheriff's office helped or not all of them, obviously, but the person that they were connected to helped cover up their involvement in her disappearance. Oh. Kind of like a red herring, having people look mm-hmm. other places when they're covering other things up. So, Allison, what are your mm-hmm. thoughts or theories? I'm still confused a little bit on any of these theories. At what point the Polaroid comes into play, unless it's not Tara. Um, and if it is, where did the little boy come from? Because there's clearly a little boy in the picture. So yeah, that should be missing from the same area, right? Um, I do think obviously I'm drawn to theories two and three mostly because there are so many similarities in them, um, including, you know, an accidental. Um, or, or some sort of an abduction that happens on the side of the road and mm. the fact that it's similar number of people, um, that might be why, you know, theory two is a theory, even though it seems to come out of left field is because they heard it over and over and over again from people, mm. um, and, you know, like Alexis said in last week's case, the street talks. So I feel mm-hmm. like if if you're hearing similar stories about the same people over and over and over again, that deserves more attention. So 
So I'm I'm kind of drawn to that last theory, I think, most of all. Recently, the FBI announced a reward up to $20,000 for anyone who had information that would lead to the location of Tara Calico or the arrest of those responsible for her disappearance. The FBI has also released age progression photos showing what she would currently look like as she would be in her 50s, if my math serves me well today. Tara's mom went to her grave not knowing what happened to her baby girl. She and Tara's stepdad kept a bedroom for her, bringing her gifts there for all of her Christmases, all of her birthdays. Even near the end, Patty would see a young girl on a bicycle and would point and say, that's Tara. Her brothers would say that the stress of their sister's disappearance significantly shortened their mother's life. One sibling said, quote, the police would send photos of every possibility, including photos of bodies, dismembered bodies. And every time mom got an envelope with the newest pictures, she would look at them. She could not, but it tore her up every time, end quote. Tara's family told reporters that their mother never wanted to believe that she was dead. And honestly, what parent could fully accept that without actually seeing a body? Sleuthhounds, if you have any information on Tara Calico's disappearance, please contact the county sheriff's office at 505-866-2400 or you can call the FBI at 1-800-CALL-FBI or online at tips.fbi.gov. Again, please like and join our Facebook page, Coffee and Cases Podcast, to continue the conversation and see images related to this episode. As always, follow us on Twitter at Cases Coffee, on Instagram at Coffee Cases Podcast, or you can always email us suggestions to coffeeandcasespodcast at gmail.com. Please tell your friends about our podcast so more people can be reached to possibly help bring some closure to these families. Don't forget to rate our show and leave us a comment as well. We hope to hear from you soon. Stay together. Stay safe. We'll We'll see see you you next week. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Waiting on a tax return? Hopefully it ends up in your hands. Fraudulent tax returns due to identity theft increased by 30% in 2023. If you're in a bind this tax season, LifeLock can help. Our U.S.-based restoration specialists are experts dedicated to helping solve your identity theft issues. And all LifeLock plans are backed by the Million Dollar Protection Package. So we'll reimburse you up to the limits of your plan if you lose money due to identity theft. Help protect your information this tax season with LifeLock. Save up to 25% your first year at LifeLock.com aware.